0: Okay, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to uh, have a little podcast jam session with you, and uh, sure. it's uh, it's taken a little bit of time, but I'm glad we finally have uh, made this happen.
1: Yeah, I'm excited, too. This is, I mean, this kind of stuff is exactly what I live for, Talk, talking about change and growth and progress. I mean, it's just like what I eat, sleep, and breathe all the time, so... <laughs>
0: So happy. So, so glad. And, uh, well, you, you're, you're, on the right podcast, so that's good. Awesome. <laughs> we, t- we definitely talk about that, um, here and, um, love to focus on things that help us to be more resilient, bring more energy, help us have more purpose and to be able to connect with people more. And so, um, you know, I think those are some of the foundations of a more happy life. And I think what, uh, you are uh, going to be talking about today also has so much to do with those things. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's great. So uh, so um, just actually, if you don't mind telling the um, the listeners just a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've been practicing. I've been seeing clients since two thousand five. Uh, and you get to see clients while you're in graduate school. So you know for the first for four years or so i was in training but still working with real people uh mm. in fact it's really terrifying when you're a brand new you know like people expect you to be a professional even though you're at a university and they're bringing like real serious life problems and you're like totally i've only taken two classes on this you guys <laughs> i'll do the best <laughs> i can i feel a lot better now that i've been doing this for over well over a decade uh mm. But so I do that and uh, I, my wife and I own uh, a, basically a mental health care company called Sela Health. And we have, um, in, cool. here in Utah, we call it, we're known as Utah Valley Counseling. We've got offices up and down the Wasatch Front. And then we actually have a Las Vegas office as well where yeah. one of our employees move. So I do that and I do a lot of public speaking, do a lot of create content, write workbooks, books. So I'm way overly busy, but it's kind of how I like it.
0: That's great. That's really good. I think it's, I think it's good to be busy in the things that you value, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and and I'm, I'm, this is the happiest I've been in my life, I think. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I finally was able to transition out of working for other people and finally working for myself, doing exactly what I want every day. I mean, even Mm -hmm. when you work for yourself, there's some days you have to do stuff that you don't love. Totally. But rarely do I do things that I absolutely despise. That's extremely rare because I just have set it up this way. So it's been it's been amazing.
0: And and on those days when you're doing stuff that you despise, you ha- you just go into your your Nerf gun collection and you <laughs> <laughs> which, which i just saw which is amazing
1: <laughs> I, I do have my nerf gun collection i also i also collect wristwatches, and that is something i really enjoy oh, so cool. I, have, I have a drawer full of them and that's i, I can put one of those on every day and mm. look at it and it's beautiful and it doesn't take a lot of work because i'm just staring at it you know and so that's kind of one thing and i have this uh, issue with the uh, i hate the passage of time because i want to i always want to do more so wearing a watch helps me feel like i have a false sense of control over time. Cause I can stare at it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Uh, well, in the end time doesn't exist, but that is another podcast. <laughs> That's episode. a whole other
1: episode. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will not be on that one because uh, I'll listen to it, but
0: I don't know anything about what you're talking. Oh <laughs> uh, well, let's dive in. Thank you um, for for jumping on the show. This is so sure. fun. So um, I want to talk today about an aspect of happiness. You know, I think a lot of times people uh, see happiness as kind of on the other side of a shift in their life. And I think shifts can definitely create more fulfillment, but you know, what, what do you think stands in the way of these kind of shifts that we desire?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of things, right. And that, that's what I do for a living. I mean, my job every day of my life is to try to figure out essentially why people can't seem to do the things that they know they want to do or they should do or whatever it is. And then also, what creates that momentum to to make the change to have that life shift and i do think there is some value in being able to just be present with what we have in the moment and appreciate it but change mm-hmm. is always i think it's just part of being human is we desire it we go after it and when we start getting it we get more motivated more animated to go after it so i think some of the things that get in the way of change are of course fear you know i mean even if the present is painful, sometimes it's easier to deal with a painful present than an unpredictable future, because mm. I think our brains go, well, what if it's worse? Or what if the things I have now go away? Um, or, there's just fear. There's, there's an innate fear about change and, and things that are different. Um, yeah, totally. So fear is a big one. Um, and I think, you know, lack of confidence, right? So we may know what we want. Uh, yeah. but we're not sure how to get it or whether we deserve it. You know, the imposter syndrome. Why, mm. why should I, why should I do this? You know, I have that all the time. I'll sit in front of an audience of like a thousand people. And I think, right? why are, why are these people listening to me? I'm just a regular <laughs> guy. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. I totally get it. You got things like that, Um, and then sometimes you know uh, the structure of life gets in the way. I mean, I have five kids, and one of them is the youngest is eighteen months, and I got to tell you, I do a lot of. My wife and I work together, and she does a lot of the administrative tasks, so I end up doing a lot more childcare uh, when we're home together, and. I'm trying to get stuff done and he just is completely not committed to my career at all. <laughs> and so oddly yeah. enough, and, and so sometimes so the weird. structure of life or circumstances <laughs> make it really hard to get things done even if we're motivated and ready to go. You know, mm. if I'm a single mom, for example, I could have all the motivation in the world uh and 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 dreams and everything, but man, I'm gonna have a hard time getting anything done other than just keeping everybody alive day to day. So Yeah
0: absolutely so those are definitely some of the kind of obstacles to Mm -hmm. this like motivation and this desire to create these like these shifts and yeah so um i mean why like what i'm trying to think of like other reasons why kind of we stink at like (laughs) just you know changing right and um to experience that like what we what we want i mean those those are good but
1: i mean there's other things right i mean uh i think by dna design we seek comfort i mean as somebody once told me they said notice yourself sitting in the chair you're sitting in right now you will not shift your position until the current position you're in is uncomfortable and if the current Hmm. position is not uncomfortable you will never move because your body is designed to seek comfort, right? And that's some yeah. sort of survival mechanism. So, if something is not, if something is comfortable, uh, even if it's not a fear based issue, like I'm afraid of change, if I'm comfortable, you know, I might not have as much motivation to get moving on other things.
0: So, yeah, how can we? I mean, because I totally, I totally get that, and um, it's interesting. That it reminds me of this time when I was uh, I was hiking with my wife in the Pacific Northwest. It was beautiful, but it was also kind of chilly. And um, we were hiking towards this waterfall, and there are like just as many waterfalls as in the Pacific Northwest as there are churches in Utah. And um, and so, like, we were heading towards this waterfall, but she was like, "I just don't feel like I want to go because it's just cold." And I just said, "Well, you know, if you just start walking up the hill." Um, you'll probably warm up
1: mm.
0: on the way to the waterfall. And anyway, so it just made me think. You know, it that it, initial cold or chill, right? That like comes yeah. from getting out of the car or whatever. But like the reward of seeing the waterfall and being there is so nice. So how do we like how do we how do we become more okay with that discomfort? Like yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like hat. How- that's really the big question, right? A lot of it is how do we get started? Uh, and then once we get going, how do we keep the motivation to, to go, right? Because lots of people mm. will start things like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to read a, a a book a month this year, or I'm going <laughs> yeah. to exercise or whatever yeah. it is. And there's this initial excitement and then often it sort of disappears and we're back to, where we were before and then people will say things like well maybe i'm just lazy or i'm not mm. i'm not that invested in it you know or or they just go i don't know what my problem is i just can't seem to do it right it's pretty right. disheartening to to try to commit to something and then find yourself getting sucked back into some little homeostasis where, where you're just comfortable but uncomfortable right so totally i like to think about it this is a metaphor that I've started using as a as a therapist, and it hmm. just makes a lot of sense. And that is, um, if if you think back, no, well, no one, very few people will be able to think back <laughs> to this. But in the 1950s, uh, Russian scientists and U.S. scientists were hard at work, uh, and German uh, scientists as well were hard at work at trying to launch rockets into uh, into you know basically. Into space or into orbit around the Earth, because I think scientists and, and the governments realized that there was a lot of potential uh, things they could do technology-wise, and of course at that time war-wise, right. uh, if they could do that. And so, uh, in 1957 is when Russian scientists uh, finally accomplished that uh, elusive goal, and that was to to launch this uh, basically this beach ball-sized satellite into low Earth orbit. Yeah, uh, Sputnik One. You know, <laughs> and so they got it out there and it was 12 days later that U.S. scientists launched. Uh, they had a rocket and then they had a basically this uh, rocket had an explosive uh, device attached to it and it launched two pellet sized probes out of orbit and in, uh, into outer space. Mm. And, uh, and it turns out that these were pretty big deals, not only because they shifted technology forever, but uh, it's actually extremely difficult to launch anything into space. Uh, it's it's really 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 hard and yeah. the reason is be- because of gravity Gra- uh basically any anything uh everything has some sort of gravitational pull but the more massive it is the bigger it is the, the more significant the pull and earth is quite large and so the gravitational pull of the earth <laughs> is pretty serious in order to get something out of uh of you know the gravitational pull of the earth you have to have something traveling at an incredibly high velocity in fact check this out 7 miles per second oof <laughs> it's so fast <laughs> i mean i can hardly even imagine going that fast
0: <laughs> seriously that's crazy
1: 7 miles per Dizzying. second yeah it uses about the, the shuttles so the shuttles will be launched with these uh, you know all of this fuel I and mean, they use about 800,000 gallons of fuel to, to launch the shuttles and most of it's oh. actually burned up during the first few minutes because the closer to earth you are the the stronger the pull is and so you really have to use a lot of thrust in the beginning part and as you get further and further away velocity increases and it gets easier till eventually you essentially escape the gravitational pull of the earth there, there's always some but it becomes negligible to where you're not going to get sucked back in and I, I see that as sort of us trying to escape the comfort pull hmm. of our bad habits or our comfortable places that we wish we could escape from, or whatever it is that we're trying to change, it's so easy to get sucked back in, and it takes so much velocity to get moving. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, like the initial right. Yeah, the initial velocity. It's like it's kind of like oh, I mean, this reminds me of like this like chemistry. Uh, I probably shouldn't even talk about this because I'm not very—I'm not an expert in this. But <laughs> <laughs> this like whole like formula of uh, or this thing called activation energy, I think. Huh? I Remember right? Where like yeah, it's the same same deal, right? Where it takes so much activation energy, but then once you get past a certain you know, right. point, um, then it goes downhill, and it's just like boom—it's right. easy.
1: It seems to be a law of the universe, right? That hmm. in order to change, in order to shift into a new space, you have hmm. to have so much initial energy to be able to do it. Once you get away from the pole, for instance, of the gravitational pull of the earth, if I'm in outer space, uh, I can, a little bit of thrust, a little bit of fuel goes a long, long way because I'm not getting pulled by anything. So you could go quite fast. I think the, hmm. the, uh, uh Voyager One is traveling at something like thirty thousand or thirty-six thousand miles an hour, just Whoa. permanently through outer space till it runs out of fuel. But we're still a ways away from that happening, even though it was launched back in the seventies. <laughs> so it's still going out there. It's crazy. It is crazy. So I think what one of the things that people have to realize is that. Uh, sometimes the reason that they don't really uh, make the long-term changes that they want to make is because they only put enough energy in to sort of see that initial shift, but they didn't realize that they were also being sucked back in by this essentially this invisible force hmm. uh, to to be able to stay the same. It just seems to be a law of the universe because all of us, myself included, no matter how productive I am, there are things that I wish I would do consistently and i know they're good for me and i want to do them and i know it'll make my life better and i still don't do it <laughs> you know or very consistently yeah right and i have a phd in change basically i mean <laughs> yeah yeah i'm a doctor of change and yet not i can't escape literally. that yeah literally i can't escape it either so I, what i want to share with your listeners is essentially a um, a four component, or I guess a five, a five component strategy that I mm. see that really works for my therapy clients mm, I love when, it. when they're trying to change. And this is something you can apply to pretty much anything that you're trying to do in life. You know, if you're looking to be happier, more content, more at peace, more productive, whatever it is. Uh, and you notice that you're, that, you know, that's not working. This can really work. Now it is going to take some outside help uh you know and that can be a mentor a friend a sibling a parent like anybody that's willing to commit to you that cares enough about you to help get things moving Hmm. uh and so it'll take a little bit of work but i'm going to show how this works with people and feel free to jump in and ask questions great no i'm super
0: excited to hear this we can
1: chat about it and and it's essentially follows the the same uh methodology that scientists use to get Rockets into space. So, the first thing is I call it institute a unique approach. So, by nature, human beings are novelty seekers. We like new things, right? Hmm. Uh, Right. It's why we love getting packages from Amazon, even if it's just (laughs) like toilet paper or whatever, (laughs) because it's so exciting. Oh, something new is here. You know, we love opening up Christmas. You know that type of, we, we love yeah. new gadgets people are always you have a fully functional phone that works great but you have to have the new one right, right? <laughs> you know yeah and i think you know that's you know but that's it built into our dna so that we can survive and create and grow and change that's how as a species we've survived is we're constantly looking for new you know, new things, new ways to to think about things. So uh, basically what we're doing is we're leveraging this novelty seeking Mm. for change. Because what's really interesting is that uh, basically... Novelty activates, activates dopamine in the brain. And dopamine, you know, generally when people think about dopamine, they think about it as the reward neurochemical, right? So the neurotransmitter, yeah. it, it rewards us when we do things uh, like eating food or having relationships with people or whatever uh, for survival. But the, uh, the thing that people don't know about dopamine is that it's basically a seeking neurotransmitter as well so it causes Hmm. us to desire to want to go after to seek to go get stuff okay right yeah and that's why for example like with my kids i can say okay everybody you know let's let's clean up the house so we have a nice clean house and they're all like crying and on the floor and whining and somebody's leg now hurts (laughs) so bad they can't move but if i say to them hey guys um, I have a surprise package here, and in this package, something you're really going to want. All we got to do is clean up really fast. Man, they are all over that, right? <laughs> because dopamine kicks in, and dopamine's like, you've got to get what's in that package. Do whatever you can to right. get it. Okay? And by the way, this is, I, I believe, one of the reasons that, you know, how pe- people are always trying to lose weight. It's one of the top New Year's mm. resolutions every year. It's like one of the top two every single year. And there's all of these ways of losing weight. There's like diets and there's pills and there's medical stuff. And and I believe that, you know, all of those survive and thrive, especially as new ones come out that are basically the same as everything else that's ever been said uh, or just some weird thing that no one's ever heard of before, because (laughs) we're always looking for something new and different. And people get excited when you have a new story about how I can get what I want. Hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Totally agree. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So basically what we're going for is we want to take that natural dopamine response to novelty and we want to use it by having a new approach. And so Mm. the practical aspect here is if you've been trying to go after something for a while and you just, you're not getting motivated, find a new story, a new method, a new structure of how you're going after it or, you know, edit or update what you want so that it feels new. You have a novel approach and you can basically kickstart your dopaminergic system in your brain again to Hmm. go after it. Hmm. Yeah. So it's crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like so simple, but it's like also very, yeah, no, I think that's, it's brilliant.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite scenes in all of movies, if you can believe it is in the matrix, <laughs> <laughs> not exactly like a classic landmark film of like cinematography, but it is, hey. it has some great stuff in it.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: And I I, I want to say there's this, there's a scene where Neo, who's the protagonist of the film He meets Morpheus and Morpheus is this resistance leader. And he's basically inviting him into this new world that he could never come back from. Right. So I'm just going to, I have this little quote from the movie. I want to read this to you. Okay. Yeah. I want to show you what this looks like in in terms of like inviting somebody to change. Cause this is something like if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, Oh, I have a child or a spouse or whatever that they don't want to do anything different. I'm going to show you the method of invitation that I use as a therapist all the time. That gets people like, oh, I do want to do what you're asking me. So they meet Morpheus and Neo. Morpheus says to Neo, let me tell you why you are here. You're here because you know something. What you know, you can't explain, but you feel it. You've felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. Then he goes on to say the matrix is everywhere. It's all around us. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is. And this is the really interesting part, right? So this is where the invitation happens. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. So then Morpheus offers Neo a choice. He has two pills, one in each hand. There's a blue pill and a red pill. And he says, this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Like, in my opinion, how can Neo really do anything (laughs) other than taking the red pill? He doesn't actually have a choice.
0: (laughs) Well, how do you, how would you resist that kind of a dopamine? You
1: (laughs) you couldn't resist it because, because you realize that there's something really special that you can have if you make this choice and the way it's being worded and phrased is it's almost irresistible, right? That's Mm. why like in a therapy session, I can say to my therapy, client, I've just met these people like 30 minutes earlier. They don't know me. I don't know them, but we get to know each other a little bit. They tell me what their problem is. I can say to them, look, I'm going to be honest with you. This is going to be torturous work. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life. It's going to be excruciating. This doesn't sound like a good setup <laughs> for, <laughs> for people going, sign me up, man. Right. <laughs> right. But I'll say something like, but at the end of this process, you're you're never going to be able to go back again because you will be so transformed by what we're about to do, that you will forever be a different person, right? And that's the that mm. moment when people go, can I just have Wednesday at 1 p.m. for the next year?
0: <laughs> <You> know? <laughs>
1: After knowing me for less than an hour, because the way that I invite people into change is on some level irresistible, and that's what we need to start to mm. jumpstart change, okay? So that's mm. the first part of the process. Then comes hope, Love it. okay? Hope. Yeah, hope is really the next thing. You're you're going to use that dopamine. You're going to use the novel approach, the new way of going after things, to then generate hope. Okay. Mm. Like so, if you feel that your you know past attempts have failed, you get this new compelling story about how healing can be exciting. You kind of start to imagine the possibilities for change. Like, oh, this is this is going to be great. And that anticipation is what we call hope, or in the therapy world, we call it expectancy. Okay. I have, I expect something new, something interesting, something exciting. And I think hope is absolutely crucial in healing. And here's why there's mm. at least one of the reasons. There's a bunch of different reasons, but one of the reasons is that you're looking at your faces. You're so excited about, I was like, here's why.
0: And Anticipation. I, like, oh,
1: I can't handle it, man. <laughs> what if we got cut off and then you like never knew? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
1: So this is what's fascinating. So uh, most people have heard of the placebo effect or a placebo, right? A placebo yeah. is basically like a fake or a non-active uh, treatment, for example. So in a, in classic terms, they would, uh, you know, researchers would want to test a new pill out. Like, all right, let's test this, uh, you know, an antidepressant out. And we're going to give some people in this study the antidepressant. And then we're going to give some other people this pill that's like a sugar pill. It does nothing, but we're going to say it's an antidepressant. Uh, And we're going to find out which one performs better. Right. And Mm. in the past, when researchers have found that the placebo pill had a similar effect to the antidepressant, they kind of considered that a treatment failure. Like they considered the antidepressant not very effective because they're like, Oh, the sugar pill, which does nothing is having a similar effect. That means this antidepressant isn't very good, but it turns out that that's actually not really the story at all because placebo is a sign or evidence that our brains and our bodies have this natural capacity for healing and growth um, as long as we have a couple of things going on and one of them is belief or hope that this will actually help me get better but the other one and this is interesting is the action of doing something intentional with the with the intended outcome or the purpose of getting better, okay? Hmm. And the way we the, the where, where we can see this is, uh, so for instance, Harvard University, uh, or Harvard researchers, it was a Harvard Medical School thing. In 2014, they did this study where they were uh, looking at the effects of a migraine medication. And then they had this placebo pill, but the really, the really interesting part of the study is they wrote the word placebo on the placebo pill. So everyone who was taking it knew it was fake, okay? So yeah. you're in the study. You're a research participant, and you're, you're they're like here. You're in this group. You're in the placebo group. So you know you're not taking a migraine medication at all, right? Right. You know you're taking a, a sugar pill. But the crazy thing is that, that placebo pill had fifty percent of the effectiveness of the actual migraine medication, hmm. simply because people were doing something proactive about trying to improve their migraine experience. Just the act of taking a pill. Hmm. Actually changed people's experience. Now it may not have; it may have been only perception, but right. that's irrelevant because if yeah. you perceive lower pain, then you have lower pain.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know. Totally. Uh, and I've done this before. Like I, I have pretty bad allergies, and I have a little twenty-four hour allergy pill that I'll take um, that I buy from Costco. Right. And if uh, some days on a, on occasion I'll really need one bad, and I won't have one, and so I will actually reach in my pocket and grab a fake invisible allergy pill out of my pocket. I'll put it on my tongue. I will gather up enough saliva to swallow it. And then I go, Oh, I'm so glad. And I will actually have reduced allergic reaction symptoms. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That's awesome. Trick your brain. Your brain tricks you. You might might as well trick it back.
1: You might as well trick it back. You know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) if we understand how our brain works uh, how the human brain works and how human beings work in general, we can do so much good for ourselves and other people just by rolling with the, the benefits of, of having a brain and a body that are actually by design, constantly trying to heal themselves and improve and, and fix things. you know, a lot of medicine is just like getting out of the body's way or, you know, getting stuff out of the mm. way so the body could do its thing. Right. So I'm going to clean a wound. And then put a bandage on it. it's not that the bandage fixes anything it's just like gets everything out of the way so my body can do what it does which is naturally healing
0: i love that i totally agree
1: so yeah basically what we're looking for is we want to have a belief that you're going to get better okay um and then to act do the act of engaging a healing ritual Hmm. and that's what we want to do for this you know next phase is now that you have a new methodology new and you have this hope, you engage in a ritual so it 's not just like okay mm. i hope I hope i'm going to get better. you know I hope this works out. You have to engage in a ritual that you believe is going to have some positive outcome on your life okay hmm. now here 's the deal this is where people tend to get uh, bogged down because you still have gravitational pull of you know, you're getting kind of sucked back to the old way of being because it's comfortable. Right. Um, also, it's new and different and that's kind of foreign. We don't like new and different, even if it's better different. Sometimes we don't really like that. Yeah. Um, and so basically what happens is, you know, you, you, you have this ritual you're going into and then maybe a day goes by that you don't do it or something crazy happens and you have a couple of days where you get off of your routine and then things start sliding backwards. So you're going to need basically two things. One of them is accountability from another person, preferably another person who's trying to do the same thing you are, who's going to be able to say, hey, don't get, you know, don't, don't, don't chill out right here. We got to keep going, right? It's like you to your wife. Hey, let's just, just get out of the car. and get walking. Let's get to this waterfall. Mm -hmm. Did you go to the waterfall by the way together? We
0: did. It was beautiful. (laughs) And she agreed and, and it worked. It worked.
1: Yeah. And like if she'd been alone, she'd have been like, nah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, uh, social social, uh, social is is so powerful. I like the relationship and uh having right. somebody there. Yeah.
1: That the social support and the expectation, right, from other people that we're gonna that we're gonna do things. I yeah. uh I'm not a very good swimmer and I've always been terrified to dive into a pool because you know, my body looks at this or my brain looks at like the water and it's like, that's probably concrete. So you're just going to smash your head and die. And, like <laughs> yeah. I get it, but I never, I would never die. But I was at this family reunion and I had a couple cousins who had never actually been diving to a pool before either. And we all were like, we're doing this and nobody's backing out. So we all just did it because there was that social expectation and right. I never, I never would have done it on my own ever.
0: Yeah. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you want to get social support. Mm. Uh, in the, in the form of accountability, not necessarily people cheering you on, because I will say this, uh, our brains do this thing called the substitution effect, where if you get a Mm. lot of pats on the back and a lot of thumbs up, your brain's Mm. all, Oh, look at me. I'm achieving so much. Everybody's so proud of me. You haven't done anything, (laughs) you know? Yeah. The reward
0: without the actual act without the action.
1: Yeah. So you don't want, you don't want people giving you thumbs up. You want people going, Hey, get on it what are you doing? Let's go. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah, totally. So you get that going. And then the other thing that you get going is uh, traction basically. So that's hmm. traction is the, the, the third step. So, you know, you get a unique approach, you get hope and then three is traction. You want to be doing things early on that have some kind of instant gratification, instant reward kind of thing. Right. I would be much more likely to work out and lift weights if like at the end of it, I was like, look, I can already see my muscles growing. I'm getting ripped. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You'd be like, yeah, this is good. What we do get is we get feeling better. You know, I feel like, Oh man, I feel my body feels better. So you get a little bit of that going on. Um, But again, if I got that reward, that instant reward of, Oh, look at, I can see myself. I can see my, stomach getting tighter and everything's great yeah we'd be much more likely so i tell people make sure that you're creating some behaviors that are going to have some instant feedback some immediate improvement some immediate gratification if you can because that gets traction you're like oh this is actually working Mm.
0: you know what i mean yeah small wins exactly
1: yeah and tr- traction's basically about two things. It's about one, benefit benefiting from the changes, like we talked about, right? So, mm-hmm. so you see improvement and you go, okay, I'm gonna do more of this. But the other one, and this is quite interesting, is changing how you perceive obstacles. So let me tell you how this works. Hmm. Uh, and there's always a rat study somewhere. There's always a yeah. study <laughs> where we learn from rats. Exactly. And so, of course, I'm going to tell you a story about a rat study. So, awesome. <laughs> re- Researchers took these rats, and they had these this little ramp that the rats had to climb up. And the top of the ramp, the rats could, I think, push a button or flip a lever or some, something like that, and it would release food. Okay, So hmm. they get immediate reward for climbing up the ramp and pushing the lever. So then what the researchers do is at some point in the process, they... they take away the food option. So the rats can climb up the ramp and hit the lever, but no food comes out, okay? Mm. And maybe the first time they're like, "Oh, it's broken." So they try it. they go climb up again, but eventually the rats are going to go, "Okay, lever's not dropping food. Let's stop wasting our time going up this ramp, right?" And then what the variable that the research added was the incline of the ramp. So they would say really low incline, you know, pretty flat up to yeah. really steep like it's kind of hard work to get up to this this food thing, and what they wanted to know was, did the, the difficulty of getting to the lever affect how long the rats would keep trying, hmm. you know, to, to get food right. when the food was gone? What you would expect is if it was easy, they'd kind of keep trying because it's not that much work, but the literal opposite happened in the study. Hmm. The steeper the incline, the longer the rats would pursue the goal of getting food, even though they were getting absolutely nothing from it. And what that tells hmm. us, and this is true for human beings as well, is if we perceive, and this is where perception comes in, if we perceive the obstacle in our way as part of the process of getting the reward, right, hmm. then actually the harder the, uh, the, you know, the steeper the climb, the sweeter the victory is what I say the more challenging the the, the path is or the more difficult the obstacle is, the more you appreciate the victory. And what's more important than that is the more you are engaged with the seeking behavior. So we actually want obstacles in our way if we're going after something, but we have to decide that we're going to perceive them as a relevant part of the process if we perceive the obstacles as nuisances annoying signs of failure signs that it's you know it's not worth it if, if we perceive it that way then there's the strength of engagement will go down and we'll just quit right mm. but if the obstacles are particularly challenging and we see them as like the price you have to pay to get what you want then you'll even be more engaged if you than if you had no obstacles at all okay Hmm. which is cool
0: yeah it's amazing totally counterintuitive and fascinating
1: yeah so uh, you know when i have therapy clients it'll be like this is really hard and i go good
0: (laughs) yeah because
1: if it was easy you wouldn't actually care about it and you wouldn't stay invested and nothing would happen i want it to be hard for you
0: yeah totally that's so interesting
1: (laughs) but you know, part of the work of therapy is to help people perceive the obstacles differently, you know, so that somebody comes in and they say to me, I'm never going to get better. Every time I try, fail, that kind of thing. And part of my job, part of what people are paying me to do is to say, let's hold on, let's take a deep breath here and let's look at this and let's see if we can reevaluate like, well, you know, really, truly what I'm going to do is we'll Where did that come from? Where where did you, when did you learn to, to, you know, to view obstacles in that way? And do we have other alternatives and how are we going to get there? And and that's, you know, that's therapy, right? Yeah. That's, that's my whole deal. But essentially as you, as you're getting going, you get this traction going, you start seeing changes, you're doing the work of change. And, and at that, at some point you're going to basically escape the pole, right? Mm. Uh, the, the sugar that you're trying to give up is not going to be as appealing anymore. Right? Right. The, the desire to sit on the couch and stare at a TV when, when you could go and exercise, that desire is going to be declining. Like, I don't want to sit around and I feel like garbage when I do that, you know? Right. There comes this point where you really escape the pull. And this is what, it's a bit of a paradox with escaping the pull. And that is that, at some point it doesn't feel like constant effort anymore, right? Like when my therapy clients come in and say, this crazy thing happened. Like I I was in the situation where I normally totally blow it and I just nailed it. I did so good. And I don't know why they're all mad. I don't know what happened. I don't, I can't replicate it. It just just like naturally happened, right? And they're, they're, mm. they're bugged because they, they want to know what they did so they can do it again. And I go, no, no, this is a great sign. It means that it's becoming natural for you, which means you don't have to try so hard, which means you're more likely to do it again, hmm. you know, but That's really interesting. Here's the paradox is as you're approaching escape velocity, a lot of times people will basically misinterpret comfort for progress So they go, like, Hmm. let's say it's a marriage conflict issue, right? Someone's coming in and they're like, our marriage is imploding. We're having fights every day. It's so difficult. And then suddenly the fights stop and they're like, oh, this is great. We've made so much progress, right? I feel comfortable. I feel better. And then they quit therapy and I'm like, wait, hold, hold on you just because you're comfortable doesn't mean you made any progress it might just be that you're too tired to fight or you're too busy to fight or uh you know whatever that that has nothing to do with change it's just comfort so that's the biggest issue is people sometimes go i feel better which must mean that i've made enough progress that i can stop trying and that's when they still get sucked back into it you know mm. And I believe that that's where you need more external forces to push you further. All right. Somebody who's there just at that point where you're about to give up and go not give up for hopelessness, but give up for comfort. Like, oh, okay. I'm good. I don't have to try anymore. That that person's going, no, 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 no. Keep pushing a little more. Yeah. So you can get there. Right. Sort of thing. So mm. that's, that's basically what happens. And the, the nice thing is like I mentioned earlier, Once you sort of hit the escape velocity where you're escaping the gravitational pull of whatever's keeping you stuck, things just get a little bit easier. And then all you need to stay on target is just little gentle course corrections, you know, just Mm. enough self-awareness to be like, am I starting to slide back? You know, enough like feedback from another person or from yourself where you do like some, you know, self-awareness. Uh, you know, in self-inventory kind of thing. I'm going to double check. Yeah. Uh, Or feedback for someone to say, hey, I'm noticing that you're kind of going back to the old way. Just a little bit of effort can get you right back on track as opposed to in the beginning where it kind of feels like a part-time job to change.
0: Mm. Yeah. No, that's... That's really interesting. And I think, yeah, I think that, uh, I've definitely experienced those before. And I think it's, it is interesting when you, when you hit that kind of escape velocity and you're like, Oh yeah, I got this. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, what just happened? And, um, but, but I do, I love that. Yeah. The social support and, and feeling that kind of, you're not alone. Like I, you know, I, uh, I started working at a, at a, um, a co-working space mm-hmm. uh because it's like you feel like there's people around you that you you're like you're not the only one like doing stuff you know yeah. and you're like oh yeah I like I'm I'm not crazy like there's all these <laughs> other people who are also doing things you know yeah and exactly. uh it really does help
1: i have uh so i in the therapy practices my wife and i run you know we have 13 other therapists that work for us and a bunch of office staff and many of them have said to me things like you know the best one of the best things about working here is that if I were in private practice, I'd be alone on my own trying to manage everything myself every day. And it would get lonely, but here there's always somebody around to talk to, to vent to, to get ideas from. And I feel like, you know, like you were saying, I'm not alone and we're, we're in this together. It completely changes the way we perceive the work that we're doing.
0: Totally. It really does. No, it's like, so I think it's critical. I really do. Yeah.
1: Yeah that So I, I was just gonna say I I have my own podcast and I usually do it alone and it's like so it's so sad to sit in my little audio booth like recording alone, talking yeah. to a wall. I love doing these podcasts where I get to talk yeah. to somebody. It feels better.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. No, and it's 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 fun and uh I totally know what you mean though, because you uh yeah, when you're when you're just cause I do solo episodes as well yeah. uh sometimes and um but I I like these better. It's like it's just uh it's fun to, to just had uh, yeah, to bounce ideas off each other to, to know that you're not alone, uh, yeah. because I think, I think loneliness is the perception, right It's the perception of social isolation. It's not necessarily sure. just being isolated. it's like your perception. So
1: You can be in a crowd of people and still feel lonely. Totally. Right? Totally. And, and that happens to people all of the time. And, and it's usually right. because they feel like it's not a safe or a, a you know p- proper environment to be able to be vulnerable or that they're invisible even though they're surrounded by people. And so just right. being around people isn't necessarily gonna fix it. It has to be like where you find those two or three people in your life that like get you and you don't have to explain yourself to. And you know, yeah. my, I always I always tell people like if you haven't found one to three people that you really get you, then you go out and you meet as many people as you can, even mm. if you don't even like most of them. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, just do the the odds. You know, like get the right. statistics in your favor. Get and meet as many people as you can, so you can funnel them down to find that one pure gold person that you can just yeah. hang out to for life.
0: I love that. I totally love that. I mean. I would. I was about to ask you this. The, the kind of one of the last questions here is, uh-huh. um, you know, besides what you said, like because I love this model too, and I think it's it's uh, it's really helpful to think it to think of it in terms of you know escaping <laughs> the the gravity of the earth in our uh-huh. change process. Um, but uh, but what other advice do you think you'd have for people who want to have a more happy life?
1: Yeah, like today, right? Today, you know, like exactly. If,
0: like, what what can they do today to just make it better? Before
1: the night's over, you know. Yes, <laughs> I, I think that's crucial, right? Because we only live one day at a time, anyway. Right? Seriously, you wake up and you're like, here we go again. I think one of the most important things, and this this has completely shifted my own personal sense of satisfaction, joy, happiness, and life, is I try to make sure that every single day I'm making a meaningful contribution to the life of one other human being you know mm. I'm really fortunate in that my entire career is dedicated to that like I sit across from people every single day sometimes for up to five six hours just helping them have a better yeah. life you know and even though it's my job right and even though I'm right. getting paid it still is really really meaningful but what one thing that I do because um, It's it's one thing to get paid to do so. It's another thing to go out of your way to do it where you're not being compensated directly for it. So one thing that I like to do is even though I have a really you know pretty hefty wait list for people to see me in therapy, I will pretty much take any phone call. So if people call and they're like, hey, can I just ask you a question? I will go. I will spend 20 or 30 minutes on the phone with a stranger trying to help them guide them in the right direction, give some recommendations, I'm not being compensated at all, but it feels amazing to be able to do that because I'll, you know, if somebody will call me from Texas or Alaska or something, I, I can't even be their therapist, you know? Right. And, and, <laughs> and so I'm going to spend a half hour and I'm going to try to help them. And walking away mm. from those phone calls is just such an incredible feeling of I'm doing something that is making a meaningful change, uh, impact, or a meaningful contribution to the life of another person, and it can be as simple as baking a cookie for a uh, cookies for a neighbor. Be <laughs> write, writing a, you know leaving a handwritten note, handwritten notes, man, you don't even see those anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a handwritten note for someone saying you're great. You know, mm, yeah. my, my favorite things, so I used to teach it, uh, you know, undergrad courses at a few different universities or, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll do workshops and my very favorite thing in the world is when someone comes and gives me a handwritten note that mm. just is appreciative of something I've done. I mean, it's, that's like, that's it. Mm. That's the end. Of Seriously.
0: No, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I love that. I really do. I think, I think it's so important and I think, uh, I think it's possible. I think you can. Uh, if you think about it right, if you think about it every day you you really can do something and uh um I think that's something worth uh worth ritualizing yeah. and um yeah, so I mean even today, like this has been so good and i i, I just i hope you know that you have made a positive difference in my life. So, so oh, hopefully, awesome. yeah,
1: <laughs> Well, you have so, for me too, because I love doing this stuff and I, I'll reach out to people with podcasts and then I get ignored half the time. So I'm like, when somebody's like, yeah, you can, I'm like, this is so great. <laughs> uh,
0: well, so I'm I, thrilled. absolutely. It's been, it's so fun. So, so tell us, uh, thank you for sharing all these things. Sure. Uh, it's been so good and I'd love to help people to find you if they're, if they're interested. I know you have a, a huge waiting list, um, and most of my, uh, listeners are not necessarily in Utah anyways, sure. but, uh, but either way they can, uh, see your stuff. Maybe listen to your podcast. Huh? Um, you know, where can, where can people find you where and follow they you? can find me? Yeah.
1: Right. So like I said, and like, you know, one person's going to listen to this and they're going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this out and they'll call me and I will talk to them and be like, Oh, he was legit. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, you know, if people type in Adam Moore therapist on, on Google. I, I think I'm the first one that comes up. So they can call hmm. me there. Um, uh, I have a podcast called pocket therapist and it's basically mm. like everything I can think of I've ever learned as a therapist. I'm just like shoving and cramming into a podcast, like cool. everything I know. So there's that, um, I'm on Instagram as Dr. Adam Moore, uh, mm. with no periods or whatever. And that's kind of where I, I try to share a little, you know, three second nuggets of wisdom yeah. <laughs> you can get in, in a, in a, scroll. In Instagram, yeah. <laughs> it's just tough to pull off, but I try to do that. And, uh, (laughs) you know, those, those are the kind of the the main places I can be found. Uh, but if people want, you know, access to resources or if they, you know, have questions about even how to find a good therapist, like honestly, Hmm. anybody is welcome to call me and I will, I may, it may take me seven days to get back to their phone call, but I (laughs) will return the call and I I will try to help. So.
0: That's awesome. So awesome. Well, the world needs more therapists like you, Adam, and um, more people like you who are constantly trying to uh, make the lives of other people happier and also who have like 100 Nerf guns on, a, on their wall.
1: <laughs> I do have 100 Nerf guns. <laughs> That's my little inner 12-year-old, Tim.
0: I love Adam. it. I love <laughs> it, seriously. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, Adam. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful evening.
1: Awesome. Thanks, you too. <laughs>
0: I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.